Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hello and welcome to a brand new Arsblog Arscast right here on Arsblog.com. How are you? Hope you're well. Thank you, as always, for being here. You can hear from the sound of my voice that I am a bit better than I was this time last week, although not still 100%. Whatever this thing that I had all over the Christmas, uh, which wasn't COVID because I kept testing for COVID, it kept coming up negative. But I'd like headaches and tiredness and a, a cough. I've still got a cough. And then these sort of weird periods of low-level nausea, which last for a couple of hours, and then they go away, and then they come back again. And at this point, I would just like it to fuck off and then continue fucking off and then fuck off some more and not come back because I'm pretty tired of not feeling well. Nevertheless... Football is back, and football, and Arsenal in particular, have lifted the spirits with a 3-1 win over West Ham on, I was going to say Boxing Day, but we don't call it Boxing Day in Ireland, just December 26th, or if you're religious, St. Stephen's Day. But we won that game and extended our lead briefly at the top of the table to eight points. It's back down to five points now because Manchester City, they beat Leeds, as uh, I pretty much expected that they would. No word of a lie. I had a dream the other night where Erling Haaland was some kind of like a vampire or a, a monster or something. And he was chasing me up this corridor and I kept shooting him. I kept shooting him in the chest and there was blood and stuff everywhere. But it didn't matter how many times I shot him, he just kept coming. And I'd like a, a sort of big shotgun type thing. I was like, boof, 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 boof. and he'd just keep coming after me and after me. And, um, you know, I'm no dream expert or anything like that, but... uh I guess that one's not too hard to work out. On one level, I guess it's that Manchester City are are chasing us and they're going to keep chasing us and keep chasing us. But on the other, it seems fairly clear to me that Manchester City have plowed all their money into creating the world's first Terminator football player, the E2000. Maybe in time the truth will come out, but, uh, you know, I trust my subconscious on this one. So about today's episode, we're going to chat to Lewis Ambrose. It's a bit of a weird one because of the time of year, because of the days, and nobody knows quite what day it is, and there's things going on with New Year's Eve and all sorts. So this is sort of like an cast crossed with our usual Patreon preview podcast, which we do for our Patreon members. But this week, uh, we're going to sort of combine the two into one and just put it out on the main feed. Uh, things will get back to normal next week. Don't worry, Patreon members. Um, but Mikel Arteta's press conference is not until four o'clock tomorrow on Friday, and I have a thing to go to, so I won't be able to get the preview podcast done on the on the on the Friday, and then on Saturday. Well, you know, by the time you get up and do everything, and the match is on then that day. So look, this is regular Arscast slash preview podcast, and as I said, when the schedule and life and everything else gets back to normal, podcast schedules uh, will get back to normal as well. So look, let's get on with it, and uh, let's see what Lewis has to say for himself. Hello, Lewis. Hello, Andrew. I hope you're well. I'm doing better than I was this time last week, so, you know, I'm looking at things on the on the up and up, and of course, Arsenal have won, and, you know, that, that helps as well, you know. Football team winning is the best medicine, as the old saying yep. goes you know how it is yep it, uh, yeah i'm i've got something to say on that later oh do you okay yeah all right uh now i'm in suspense <laughs> don't forget it now because i don't know what i need to say to bring it up just in case you know yeah yeah no i'll, I'll remember okay you remember so how have you viewed the week's premier league action um arsenal of course beat west ham uh to go 
well, seven points clear of plucky underdogs, poor little Newcastle United, (laughs) (laughs) but eight points ahead of Manchester City for a brief period until they won, until they beat Leeds and and cut the defeat to, uh, cut the, the lead to five points, Erling Haaland saying, we have to hunt Arsenal, which is quite ominous. From a guy like that, um, but how no, you... we're in his, we're clearly in his head. Oh, that's it. Yeah, we've got him rattled. Do you think? Yeah, yeah. I mean, he's like he's going to bed thinking, how? Can, what can I do to catch Arsenal? It's yeah, great. how many more goals do I got to fucking score here? <laughs> <laughs> um, but a decent week, obviously. You know, for 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 Arsenal. I mean, when you look down the table, I think it's a ten point gap to Tottenham with a, a game in hand. Is it? Um, or is the game in hand on the other two? I don't yeah, know. Yeah, no, the, yeah, I think it was m- briefly two games in hand after they played before we did on Boxing Day. Yeah, your reflections very quickly on the, the West Ham game, the first game without Gabriel Jesus and what you thought of how we played without Gabriel Jesus. Did you notice any significant difference in the way the Mikel Arteta set up his team or looked for his team to operate, you know, without a guy who's been so pivotal to to the way that we play? Not particularly myself, I don't think. Um, you know, I wondered a little bit. I think it's just a, a matter of who we had available at left back to start. And, and I did wonder a little bit during the first half, especially with Kieran Tierney, who just doesn't come inside into to midfield as often and as much and as drastically, I guess, as Alexander Zinchenko does. Does him then going outside on the left, like get Gabriel Martinelli closer to the middle of the pitch and, and maybe closer to the goal at times? Mm. But I don't think there was a huge difference. I think we've talked about it and we saw it at the back end of last season that Eddie Nketiah has has learned really over the last 18 months or so to play that role where he, he tucks into midfield and he offers to, you know, receive the ball with his back to goal and, and maybe lay it off or try and turn, spin, and then get back in the box. Um, I wasn't too surprised really with with any of that. I, I think we'll be a little bit less flexible and I think you saw that. Gabriel Jesus just sort of floats everywhere mm. and I think Eddie will, does and, and will drop into midfield. I don't see him maybe switching positions with Gabriel Martinelli out wide as much or Bakayo Saka on the other on the other wing. But no, I, there wasn't much else really for me. And I think, you know, West Ham are, are a decent side. They're a side that defends well, especially. And for us to control and dominate the game, I think from start to finish as well as we did, uh, I don't think you can have too many complaints or reservations based on that 90 minutes about us playing the amount of football we're going to have to play without Gabriel Jesus. Mm. The sort of right side of our attack, um, which involves Bakayo Saka, who was sensational the other night. Um, You know, on reflection, I think his performance, having watched it again, I think his performance was even better than I thought it was. Um, And I thought it was pretty good at the time. Same with Martin Odegaard. I mean, that's a really important part of how this team works, isn't it? That Odegaard, Saka, Ben White um, is involved in that little triangle as well, the way that he gets forward and overlaps um, to provide that outlet, either for a ball or for Saka to come back inside. But but there's sort of more decisiveness, I think, about the way that these guys are operating now. You know, this is the first game back after the World Cup, so you could expect things to be a little bit slow for one or two of them. Saka had a very good World Cup, um, scored three goals for England, come back, scored straight away for us. Um, you know, an Odegaard, I think he would six shots the other night. One of them, yeah, of course, was, turned into yeah. a, an assist. And one of the, the criticisms that I think people have had of him, and I, there was a moment actually early in the game where perhaps he could have had a shot and he went for a little pass through to Martinelli. Um, but six shots from, from Martin Odegaard, I mean... This is a development in his game that I'm sure has come through conversations and, and, and talks with Mikel Arteta, but he just looks like a more confident player in the final third than he did even maybe this time last year when, you know, his his quality was apparent even then. He's our top goal scorer still, right, this season in, in the league. I think he's that that nose for goal, that eye for goal is clearly there at the moment. Mm. Yeah, he, he almost gave me the impression towards the end of the West Ham game of a player was a little bit frustrated that he hadn't got his goal 
some of the efforts he was sort of cutting in onto that left foot and trying to find the far post and not finding it or the far corner. Yeah, he's he, he's brilliant. I thought he was the by far the standout player um, in the West Ham game. I thought he was brilliant. There was a few. There was obviously the sort of scuffed, pulled shot, if you like, that led to Saka's goal, and there was their sister and Ketia. But I thought there were a, a few other passes that just so nearly came off. There was mm. one that he really disguised and, and slid it through the defence for Granite Xhaka, and it was it was just too much weight on it, and Xhaka didn't have the legs to get there in the first half. I thought Odegaard was, was spectacular in the, the entire game. I thought he controlled pretty much the whole match. Um, and, and certainly when we were on the ball and moving forward, he was conducting everything, so yeah, I, I think you know we keep we keep reminding ourselves, and then you don't want to think, oh, oh, you know, we've got to demand more from these players, but we do keep talking about Martinelli and Saka and Odegaard, and you've got to remember how young they are, and we're like, but there is more to come from them, or there should be more to come, yeah. hopefully, from from each of them. Odegaard and Saka, yeah, on that right hand side, and like you say, Ben White as well. Ben White was involved in the third goal. He had a few really nice moments overlapping and getting outside in the first half, um, leaving, I think, Ben Rama on the ground at one point before he chipped the ball into the box. All of them. Um, you know, I, I thought what was really nice about the West Ham game was it was one of those matches, and obviously there was there was the penalty and the time that we were a goal down. I, I wasn't ever too worried watching it that we weren't going to find our way through. Uh, but it was just one of those games where you go back out of it and think every single one of them played well today. And mm. it's, even when you're top of the league and, and winning most games, I still think there are places to nitpick or performances to pick out. And I genuinely thought all 11 players were, were good and solid against West Ham. And that's just really, really nice. It's something that I'm still getting used to as an Arsenal fan, being able to end a game and have that thought. Yeah. the I don't want to nitpick now after what you said. And I'm not nitpicking in any way. I, I think what's what's interesting about some of the stories that we've um we've heard about this week when it comes to January, when it comes to transfer window and, and players we might be interested in is, you know, the depth on the bench, bit of attacking depth and what have you, because we don't have Smith Rowe. We didn't have Tommy Asu the other day as well. Reese Nelson of course is is out injured. Um, Gabriel Jesus, who we've already mentioned. And when you look at the bench, you know, in the second half, let's say you you really need a goal. Let's say you're behind or you're you're chasing a game and you're looking and thinking, well, okay, Zinchenko, he's a good substitute uh, to, to have. And Fabio Vieira, we know that, that he can score a goal. But beyond that, there wasn't a great deal on the bench for Mikel Arteta to, to turn to. And I think... That's an issue that might be more uh, acute when it comes to uh, when it comes to some of the bigger games against some of the bigger opposition. You know, we are facing Newcastle soon. We're facing um, Manchester United soon. There's a North London derby coming up soon as well. So, are you in any way surprised that this week we have the the bid for Mikhailo Mudrik? Um, who knows how much it's going to cost to get that guy out of Shakhtar Donetsk, but they seem open to negotiating anyway. And David Ornstein sort of dropping a little bomb on on NBC where he talked about how Arsenal are are looking at João Felix as uh, an option as well. Whether that's, you know, okay, a message to Shakhtar, we've got our eyes on another player, I'm not 100% sure. <laughs> I don't know. It could be a case that we're just after the two players. But are you in any way surprised that these two attacking players are the guys being linked with Arsenal at the moment? I think they make sense in that they're, I think, versatile. We've talked about that. There's no point, right, bringing in a player who can play in one position because mm. if they can play, say, on, on the left where Gabriel Martinelli's been playing and then they're injured, then we're just in the exact same position where... Mm we've got the same 11 players or the, or the same sort of front three. Uh, if they can play on both wings, for example, then obviously they can deputise for, for Martinelli or for Saka. And if they can play up front or, mm. and, and on one of the wings, then they can take Eddie Nketiah's place. So it obviously makes sense that we can find, if we can find somebody who can play in multiple positions across the front three, and then it's just January, right? Like how many players are out there that you that are just unavailable, basically? 
that the the clubs are just going to say right yeah middle of the season 120 million please and these two players are clearly available um Mudrick for the right price uh like I, I think any player really but Mudrick's right price seems to be I don't know we'll see what Shakhtar uh, are playing how much they actually want they're clearly playing hardball they clearly think that he's a player who can bring in a lot of money mm. uh, I'd be curious to see uh, but, I, but I think he can certainly play on both wings and then you've got Jao Felix who can play anywhere across the front three and is a player who's incredibly available thanks to not wanting to be at Atletico Madrid anymore what do you um, think I mean do you think it's about him not wanting to be at Atletico Madrid or Atletico Madrid not wanting him anymore where do you think it's kind of gone wrong I there? think I think we need to separate Atletico Madrid and Diego Simeone as things. I think he doesn't really fit that well for Diego Simeone. You know, he, he emerged at Benfica as this flair attacking player, really, a really creative wide player. Uh, it, it was odd to me that Atletico Madrid decided with Diego Simeone in charge to trigger mm. his release clause, was I think 120 million euros when they bought him, uh, to spend that amount of money on a kind of wiry young playmaker type forward didn't really tally with Diego Simeone as your coach yeah uh, so that was a strange one for me from the from the very off uh, for him I'm sure that was an attractive move to a big team that's always in the Champions League and competing for La Liga once every couple of years uh, but they never seem to fit together. The the Atletico Madrid president has said recently that Joao Felix just wants to leave and the as far as he's concerned, they still think he's a player that's incredibly talented. Hence, they want to recoup all 120 million that they spent on him yeah, uh, if they're if they're to sell him. Mm. But it's you know, which is why a loan would make sense at least for us. It would make sense for him uh, to put himself in that shop window, if you like, and, and for Atletico as well. Maybe if there's a player that's not happy and they need to sell him, he's not going to prove that he's worth 120 million there because he doesn't fit. And mm. if he's going to prove that anyway, he's going to have to go and show it for someone before they recoup any sort of transfer fee for him anywhere near the amount that they're going to ask for. So, yeah, it was always a strange fit, I think. And I think we'd be a more sensible fit. As for January moves, that's the problem, right? Bringing somebody in now, it could work really, really well. Or it could take two or three months for somebody to bed in and... Mm. By that point, how much of a use have they been for you? Luckily, we're in the Europa League as well. And, you know, I wouldn't be surprised to see any January signing and play a lot of Europa League minutes while the tempo is different to a Premier League game, while they're getting used to what Mikel Arteta wants from them. And in the meantime, they'll get off the bench here or there in the Premier League and hopefully find themselves into the team when we need them. But I, I think that's just the problem with this month, this window that we get in the middle of the season you're never quite sure how much you can rely on a player in the back end of the season when you need them well i mean yeah i mean january's been hit and miss you know when it comes to loan deals you go back a few years and we did the the dennis suarez deal which i think ended up costing somewhere between four and five million pounds in total with loan fees and wages and stuff like that and with all due respect to Dennis Suarez, I think it's fair to say we didn't really get value for money out of that one. Um, Martin Odegaard, there's a sort of synchronicity there, isn't there, with the João Felix thing, a player, highly rated player at a Madrid club who, who mm. you know, isn't, isn't uh, things aren't going as well as he would like, so he's open to a move, slightly different because, you know, it's not like Real Madrid paid 100 and something million for Martin Odegaard. They brought him in when he was, when he was 15, but... Um, you'd have to think that if this is a player that Mikel Arteta and Edu want to bring in, they must feel relatively confident that he is able to to get up to speed. Um, you know, he doesn't have fitness issues, for example. That'd be a key thing. Like, you don't want a guy who's, you know, I don't know, going to arrive with a broken back or something, you know. <laughs> um, you, you don't need that because you need the guy in the team as, as quickly as you can possibly get them in the team. Um 
I mean, th- there are other discussions. Um, I saw uh, journalist Kike Marin talk about how Mikel Arteta uh, has some doubts about Joao Felix. Now, I don't know if it's doubts about the player or if it's doubts about the deal, you know, the size of the wages, because I think the wages are somewhere around 280,000, 250 to 280,000 um, a week is what he's on at Atletico Madrid, which is, you know, commensurate with the kind of transfer fee they paid for him. You know, that is probably more than any Arsenal player is on, even Gabriel Jesus. Mm-hmm. So that might be a sticky issue. You know, Arsenal could contribute to the wages, but maybe not pay 100% of the wages. So he may have some doubts about the deal itself. Also talk of, of Ferran Torres, who is a player that we've been linked with in the past as well. Um, former Man City player, went to Barcelona. Um, this was kind of lost in the end of the last transfer window when we were panicking and looking for a central midfielder because of the injury to El Neni, injuries to El Neni and Partey. Um, there was a Spanish newspaper reported, um, like no, it wasn't Sport or it wasn't El Mundo, it could have been one of the, the main dailies, uh, reporting that Arsenal had had a bid for Ferran Torres turned down in the last two days of the transfer window. Barcelona didn't want to let him go. So he's a player that uh, Mikel Arteta obviously seems to like uh, as an alternative to the to the Joao Felix arrival. You know, he's 22 years of age. He's quite creative. He's, uh, you know, he's he looks like he can play across the front line as well. Yeah, he has. Yeah. You know, um, an- yeah, yeah, another possibility. Yeah, front quite a lot at the start of last season. Mm. And a highly rated player. Another kind of, not a work in progress, but another one of these players who is coming in with maybe something to prove. And I think that's part and parcel of, not always, but I think Mikel Arteta kind of likes that a bit. You know, there's a touch of the the Arsene Wenger signing Canu or or uh, Mark Overmars after his knee injury or even Thierry Henry to an extent, you know, it hadn't worked out for him at, at Juventus and he sort of brought him in and changed the trajectory of his career. Um I don't think that's, you know, what Mikel Arteta is thinking first and foremost. He's not some kind of footballing Samaritan trying to rescue the careers of, of guys he <laughs> likes. But, you know, I, I, I do think there's something to the idea that a player is coming, you know, having been at Man City, having been at Barcelona, and it hasn't really worked for him at either of those clubs to come to somewhere like Arsenal where, you know, to me, he he feels like a good fit. I'm not saying he's the perfect player, but he feels like a good fit for what we might need in the second half of the season, you know, particularly if you can do a loan deal um, and and you don't necessarily have to commit to something, but, you know, if it works out as it did with Martin Odegaard, you can convince a guy that maybe this is the place you need to be. Yeah, I'm sure pretty high up on their, their list of aims for whoever they're targeting right now is a player who can play more than one position. Yeah. Be that up front and on one of the flanks or on both flanks. I'm pretty confident that that's one of the things they're definitely looking for. And and he ticks that box, definitely. He also probably ticks the box of being able to come in and not demand a starting place. He, like He'll get more minutes than he's currently getting at Barcelona, but you wouldn't have to drop any of the, the current front three to mm. make space for him. You know, there are there are some players. Mudrik could be one. I don't think he personally would demand a starting place in the eleven right now. But if you're going to spend the amount of money that's being banded around for him, there's going to be pressure to put him in the team as much as possible, as early as possible, because you've just spent an absolute fortune on him. Mm. Uh, and I think he's only got sort of thirty or so uh, Ukrainian Premier League games under his belt. At, at, you know, less or just over half of those for for Shakhtar and a, and a couple of low moves as well in between. Mm. So, Ferran Torres is a player. Another thing that we've seen from from Edu and Mikelotes over the last couple of years, they've really, really liked signing players who have played in the Premier League before and are used to English football or, or know you know what the league's about or how the league's different to other leagues maybe, and have shown that they can they can handle that and that they're good in the Premier League. And Ferran Torres is ticks that box as well mm. so yeah it's that is an interesting one it's one that probably makes quite a lot of sense uh you know if it's a deal that can get done we know that barcelona are in constant need of moving <laughs> yeah. players on because of their financial troubles ferran Torres is a player who hasn't played that much this season i think he played a fair bit at the back end of last season after he came in this season usman dembele has been fit they signed robert Lewandowski. they signed rafinha uh, so there's just not as much time for him mm. at the moment yeah 
those two especially they signed for enormous money in contracts but also transfer fees for Rafinha in the summer so Ferran Torres is one of the players that's really missed out I think for from those players coming in mm. it could be one to to look out for I mean Barcelona just generally speaking are a team to constantly be looking at for players that we might want to pick up because they just are in absolute desperate need of getting money in all the time that's true and I think their decision making in recent years has been pretty suspect you know <laughs> that's polite yeah. yeah that is that is polite I don't know that there's been a great deal of strategic thinking gone into their recruitment you know which is kind of the opposite to where to where Arsenal are um just an, a quick one on on Mudrik you know you reference the fact that he doesn't have a lot of experience 30 odd Ukrainian Premier League games Champions League football a player can emerge very quickly. We all know that. A player can shine and a player can be the right player for, for a club. But I, I've seen people express some reservations about the fee, you know, and what Shakhtar want. They know they've got a great asset, so they want to maximize that. We all understand it. But I don't think I've seen anybody saying, you know what, we should just, you know, when um, fans are desperate for a player, it's just like, <laughs> pay what they want. Just give them what they want. And get the player and stop this pussying around and just get the player to pay them what they want. I haven't seen one person say that about Mudrik. I've seen people say, there's a limit to where we should go. Do you... We've, we've gone the other way as, as Arsenal fans, haven't we? Kind of. Like, it used to be a lot of that. And now it's like we signed Ben White and it's like, oh, that's a, that's a lot of money. Should we really be doing that with yeah. 50 million pounds? And, it's odd, it, but we have sort of gone from one end of the spectrum to the other. Yeah, I mean, but but that's what I was going to say to you. I mean, has what we've done in the last 18 months, like if, like I think whatever we end up paying for Mudrik, if we bring him in, we're going to be overpaying a bit. I think there's no two ways about it. Um, based on his career to date, I think you would say whatever we pay is going to be overpaying a bit. Um, and that's not the worst thing in the world. If it's the right player and the, the, the guy can do what you need him to do over the course of X amount of seasons, you know, we've made this point before and you just said it, like nobody's talking about Ben White's fee anymore. Nobody says oh, Ben White was 50 million. It's not like, it's not 50 million pound Ben White the same way it was 72 million pound Nicolas Pepe. Do you know what I mean? Because Ben White has sort of proved that the money we spent on him, you know, was good value, whereas uh, Pepe never really did. But would you trust Arteta and Edu to to know where the line is? Like, if it ends up being like 60 million, 65 million, which is, you know, close to a record transfer fee, would you trust their judgment when it came to that kind of an outlay um i don't know is the is the honest answer i don't know if i would trust them uh yeah it's hard when we've any any of us have, have not really seen much of this player it's not it's not ben white who we've mm. all had the chance to watch in the premier league for a year and then people say yeah he's good or no he's not good and then they can actually sort of join in with that conversation a little bit it's, this is a very different situation. It's a player that almost nobody's seen very much of. And, you know, I think we don't have a choice but to trust them if that's the decision they make. I think any decision that's made to spend a lot of money this this month is informed by our league position entirely. Mm. You know, I, I think if we had five fewer points... It, we wouldn't be overspending for anybody. It'd be like, right, we're in a good place. We'll we'll probably get the Champions League. Or like, we've put ourselves in a really good place to make sure we get Champions League. We're level with Man City with 24 games, 23 games left. Like, that's, that's not going to happen mm. to stay with them over 23 more games when you've got a five-point cushion. It's a very different conversation. And it's like okay, maybe this is a chance that we have to throw everything at. And I think, you know, you overpay in January anyway most of the time. I just think the fact that we're five points clear, I think if they're if we're five points clear right now and they think that a signing gets us two or three extra points, suddenly you might be more willing to spend 10 or 15 million too much mm. compared to if you thought we were level with City in 
this, the extra signing might get you, you know, or we were a couple of points behind them, mm. and you thought the extra signing might get you two or three more points between now and the end of the season. I think it's the fact that it really, like, it's, who knows how this season's going to go, but if we didn't sign anybody now, and we lost somebody, you know, one of the one of the wingers for, for two or three weeks, and we ended up dropping points and ended in the season four points behind Manchester City. Yeah. They're going to sit there and kick themselves. And I think that's, <laughs> no, no, why, no, that's why I'm sure... There'll be people like, lining up to kick them. Don't worry well, about it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, everybody will go mental. Yeah. Uh, so line so, around the block here, please. Take your turn. <laughs> um, you know, like, it will be. It will be like mm. that. So it's... I think it's just the fact that they've started so well uh, and this opportunity now has presented itself to to have a proper crack at something massive. Yeah. That they now can't they they can't really leave anything on the table. They just have to absolutely go for it and I'm sure that that will will mean that it we won't end this January like last January wondering, "Oh, are they going to bring some oh, is it worth it?" Like, no, nah, I think after after that and the way the league table looks right now, they'll happily spend 10 or 15 million too much just to make sure they've thrown everything at it. Mm. I mean, does the fact that we're after two players, seemingly after two players, does that tell you that they realize that this is, you know, this is an opportunity for Arsenal, um, you know, having worked so hard and done so well to get where we are in the table, that this is the kind of opportunity that, that, you know, in the, increasingly competitive landscape of the Premier League with with plucky underdogs Newcastle looming much closer than people thought they would at this point and you know they still have they still have some phases to go through right we've seen what happens when when uh, you know think about Man City you know the kind of players that they started to bring in and then over time, they became extremely good at attracting the best players. Um, you know, that's something that we're going to have to face with Newcastle probably down the line. So do you think this is a kind of tacit admission that I, this year is a really, really, really big opportunity for Arsenal to to fight all the way for the Premier League title? Yeah, I think that must be in their thinking, but I don't think they're dismissing the future. No, 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 um, no. I don't mean to say that. I don't. Yeah. I'm not no, trying to say that you, this is it. That. You know. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, but I think they. I think they know. You know, this. We can talk about other teams dropping points and other teams making. You know, being able to spend more money and improve their sides and all that kind of thing. We need to also like just mention that it's the best start in the history of Arsenal Football Club. It's the best start ever to a season. We've never had this many points, this many wins after this many games. And you, we could be a much better team two or three years from now, and this hasn't happened again. Mm. So, you know, and you look at City, City, how many billions and how many more years ahead in their project uh, compared to us. They're going for a, a third league title in a row. But you can still just turn up and have a bad day and drop points or get a couple of bad injuries and drop points. Just none sure. of that's happened to us really so far this season. You know, uh, bad refereeing decisions and, and suddenly the game go or a dodgy bounce. Like It just hasn't happened to us so far this season. It will be incredible if at any time in the near future we play 15 games mm. and we have this many points after 15 games again. So, uh, yeah, I think all of that goes into the thinking that this, yeah, is an opportunity that might not come around again anytime soon. And, and not to say that we couldn't win the league anytime soon, but to be five points clear, almost at the halfway stage of the season, this is something, you know, that luxury that we might not have for, for a long, long time. So it it does look now like a massive opportunity. And, you know, and, and just to go back to my point about the, the future, and I didn't mean, definitely didn't mean that you were sure dismissing the <laughs> the future as well. But it, I think it's it, it says something when you sign, if we go to sign Mudrik for, for an enormous fee at the age of 22, like it still fits the plan. It still fits the idea of building a young team and mm -hmm. this young squad. It isn't kind of deviating as, as, as a last well, not a last-ditch attempt, but as a big roll of the dice, you're not spending loads of money on a 30-year-old. Like, it still fits the long-term plan and the long-term thinking at the club. Uh, it maybe just sort of accelerates things a little bit more. 
All right. Well, let's see what happens with, with January. Let's talk a little bit about Brighton, because that is a game that we are, are playing on New Year's Eve, um, 5.30 kickoff in the evening. Um, Brighton are seventh in the table. It kind of, I don't know if that's sort of passed people by, you know, because of what's happened with Graham Potter and the new guys come in and everything else. But... You know, we know from recent experience this is a this is a a tough team to play against. It's a tough place to go. They've got some really good players. Um, they've got some um, some guys who can genuinely hurt you. Uh, Trossard this season with seven goals, which is more than any Arsenal player. So, what are you expecting from from Brighton on what day is it? Saturday evening. Yeah. Yeah. Who knows? yeah I just can't fucking remember what day it is. <laughs> Um, I'm expecting a really, really hard game. I think Brighton have been great this season. Uh, I thought they were really good Mm. um, under Graham Potter. And I think they've been good under Deserby as well, to be honest. I think they were a bit unlucky. I watched quite a few of their games when he came in. And I think it took sort of four games, five games until they got the first win. But I thought they were really unfortunate in that. Um, You know, I, I don't think it will necessarily be a game that we that we like really struggle in in stylistically like i think they'll play out from the back they'll allow us chances to press and and press high and squeeze them and try and steal the ball they'll want to attract us you know and and Mm. then try and play through us uh it'll be a bit of a i think more than a lot of games we play and especially away from home it'll be a bit of a wrestle for possession really so i think we'll be coming up against a, a really good side um at the same time, aside with the the way they want to play football and have possession and get bodies forward, a side that will leave us spaces, you know, a, a really different challenge to West Ham last week mm. where once they were a goal up, well, it was all like everything was behind the ball. And then as soon as they were a goal up, like, there was no chance to press as well because they would just get the ball and punt it as soon as they were any, any in any sort of danger when we were closing them down high up pitch. So I think, you know, Brighton will be sort of the opposite, a very patient style of play, passing around at the back, looking to play through us and then mm. and then hit those gaps that we leave if we're pressing high. It, it's an interesting one, but um, yeah, I don't, I don't fear them, I would say. Uh, I don't really fear anyone the way that we've played so far this season. But I think it'll be a really tricky game and a, and a game where we have to earn possession as much as just having more of the ball. Yeah. I think what's interesting about that, you know, is the fact that Brighton don't have um, Casado. He's suspended mm-hmm. for this game. And they don't have Alexis McAllister either. Uh, and they're the two... Uh, the the two guys with the most tackles. So that kind of bite in midfield that they provide, it's quite interesting to see us linked with a, a move for Caicedo, who uh, I'm told we were looking at quite strongly in the summer, actually. Um, so whether there's long-term interest there or not, I, I'm not sure. But Caicedo and McAllister being missing from their midfield is probably quite welcome from our perspective. Yeah, I don't know who if Billy Gilmore will play there. Um Billy Gilmore of, of Chelsea, or signed from Chelsea in the summer. I don't know if he'll play there. Pascal Gross, I think, will probably play centrally. He's played right back quite a lot mm. under under De Zerbi and sort of plays as right back but gets forward and, and tucks in. So it will be interesting. I mean, I especially when you when you say about the, the midfielders uh, being out. I mean, yeah, Caicedo got booked, didn't he, against Southampton, mm. and that was his, his fifth yellow card of the season. Uh, if you go to any team and two of their first choice midfielders are missing, it doesn't matter how they play. I think it's a, a massive issue for them. And, you know, once again, maybe things falling our way a little bit and we've got to make the most of it because mm. we want to be five points clear for as long as possible. Do you expect anything different from Mikel Arteta? I mean, the only thing I can think of is Zinchenko coming in for Tierney. And that's about as much as I think we'll do. If we do anything. I think, I think if Zinchenko can play for an hour, then we'll see that. Mm. <laughs> the question is how fit. It's just always the question, how fit is Alexander Zinchenko? Yeah. Um, I agree. Like The rest of the team is, is kind of obvious and picks itself. Uh, Zinchenko and Tierney, I don't know. Uh, is Zinchenko, was he getting minutes against West Ham because he's slowly working his way to fitness? So they're going to hold him back slightly for those huge games mm. that you mentioned earlier, Newcastle, Tottenham, Man United all coming up in January. That's 
that's Mikel Arteta's decision, I guess, is, is how fit is he and how much do you want to get him ready or keep him ready for those matches? Yeah. Well, I guess we'll see. We'll see on uh, on Saturday evening. So um, before we finish, I was going to ask you, and I did ask you this, um, because it's the end of the year uh, and we're going into a, a brand new year. I know it's only mid-season, but just your your top three Arsenal moments from from 2022. I've got a few written down here as well. So maybe we'll do one at a time so you don't use them all up because I suspect there might be a little bit of crossover. Uh, there could be. There could be because there were certain parts of the year which, you know, I don't care to look back on too fondly, you know. Um, <laughs> so go on, give me your first Arsenal moment of 2022. Well, and now I finally bring you back around to... Oh, here it is. Football curing illness. Uh, and, and I was bedridden with uh, with COVID uh, when we played ho- uh, home against Wolves. Uh, and the, the only time we came from behind to win a game last season in the Premier League. And I was for about 15 minutes off pure adrenaline after we uh, <laughs> came back and turned that around and scored the injury time winner. Like some, my headache was gone. I wasn't coughing. My nose was all cleared up. Like everything, all of the symptoms that I'd had for the previous three or four days were all just gone. Wow. Um, all thanks to the, the own goal <laughs> that gave us the a late, late win against Wolves at the Emirates. So, yeah, I mean, just to, I think up to that point, even though we'd been really good last season, for large parts, there were still question the, the sort of questions that by now I think have been answered a little bit. Mm. We saw it again the other day against West Ham. You know, oh, but can we come from behind? We, we we look good when we when we go ahead or when when the game's even, but we weren't coming back and getting any results. Uh, Mikel Arteta subs weren't really having much of an impact, and, and Nicola Pepe and Eddie and Ketia both came on on that day and were really important in us turning it around to win. Uh, yeah, it was just a, a really nice day, and especially because Arsenal scored a couple of late goals to relieve me of um, of your COVID what had symptoms. Been the bane of my life for right. a few days. Well, now we know how to make everyone feel better. Forget your lamsip, forget your paracetamol. You just need bottled football adrenaline. Late winners, Andrew. Late winners. Late winners. The cure for everything. The cure for everything. That's Genuinely. Sure. Um, I'm gonna go with my first one, and I think. I'm going to choose beating Liverpool this season mm-hmm. as a sort of marker of progress because, you know, we've had some big wins. We've beaten Manchester United, but we've had this record against Liverpool where there's been like an inevitability about what was going to happen and how it was going to happen. Even with our best intentions, <laughs> doing our most diligent work, we would get pulled apart time and time again by Liverpool. You know, stay in the game for a little bit and then they just fucking do you. Is know? it? Is it? Isn't it in the Amazon Prime documentary and Ben White just really despondently is like, oh, they just get one chance and they fucking score. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, it doesn't matter how well you stay in the game or how long you stay in the game, they'll get one chance and they just put us to bed. Yeah, they'll do it. And look, we know that Mikel Arteta went to some great lengths to try and prepare his players for the threat, uh, threat of <laughs> Liverpool. <laughs> um, but I just think that was, you know, in this season – it sort of demonstrated something that we all hoped would be there and could be there about this team and about where it was going and where it could go and what it was capable of. And, you know, when you think back on it now, you know, we were ahead, then we were level, we were ahead, we were level, and then we went ahead again. You know, it wasn't a case that we just nicked a goal late on and beat them. It was that we responded every time. You know, and the 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 goals that we conceded could easily have been really um, well. They were disappointing goals because every goal you concede is disappointing. But you know, if you're they, they never suck the air out exactly of the situation exactly. And um, I think that is that's my one. That's my number uh, number one. My first choice anyway. Moments of of twenty twenty two. So give us a second one. Um. <laughs> take your pick win at Stamford Bridge it's great every single time we do it we keep doing it every year now um, and it's fantastic uh, yeah I mean 
I don't know. I don't know if you were going to pick that or pick one of them. I wasn't. Um, not on well, then I'll just talk about both of them. Uh, the, Which did you enjoy most? The the kind of uh, the the four two where we sort of had that late penalty was it? Bakaya Saka with a late penalty. As yeah, well, yeah. Sort of yeah, the game and Ketia scored twice. Yeah, like and everyone was going like, "What? Fuck, Eddie, Jesus!" And we did. We just we just lost to to Brighton, and it was part of that three in a row, wasn't it? Was it the yeah, three? <clears throat> yeah, lost to Brighton and Southampton and Crystal and Palace. The other one was was it Palace? Uh, yeah, was it? I think yeah, yeah, so. I think it was. Yeah, it was. Yeah, because we'd lost uh, the day that we lost Thomas Party to injury, and we learned that Kieran Tierney was injured. Mm. Um, and then everyone was like, "Well, that's it. Then we're not we're not finishing in the top four. Um, well, I mean, they were right ultimately. But... <laughs> they, they were right, but, but I not think everyone the... like yeah. everyone wrote it off at that moment. And then we went and beat Chelsea, and then we went and beat Man United, uh, and then we won at West Ham as well. It was really mm. nice. 10 days or so but the win at Chelsea I think after yeah three defeats in a row and then we rocked up to Stamford Bridge and and beat them that was great mm. uh, and you know I think I think both of them but especially that one there were videos from the Chelsea end of Aaron Ramsdale taunting them after our goals and <laughs> celebrating the penalty and all that sort of thing which is always lovely sure uh, and this se- this season's one I'd loved because I thought we just dominated completely like, I can't remember the last time you know, people talk about that win at Man City uh, all those years ago now in 2014-15. In it's like, mm. oh, Arsenal have gone away and, and played really well at a big game uh, away from home. But not like, we didn't dominate the game. This was the first time in a really long time that I can think of Arsenal going away from home against one of the top sides and actually just dominating for 90 minutes. Yeah, uh, You know, the goal was a little bit scrappy maybe uh, from the corner. But it was also, it's also just the momentum of this season and that whole title race thing that we're like the, the Chelsea game for me was the first time I remember everyone sort of going like, uh, I guess we have to talk about it then and not, oh, when, when, when do we talk about if we're in a title race or not? It, it was like, mm. no, we've, we've won at Stamford Bridge and massively deserved it. So now we cannot avoid that conversation. Let's talk about how we're going to win the league, uh, which, you know, I think it was just, uh, th- I think we'll, I think we'll be a better football team in 12 months and in 24 months than we are now. I don't know if we'll be in a title race or if we'll stay in this one. Mm. Uh, but I think in a year and in two years and in three years, when hopefully we're in the Champions League and going on long runs and really competing for things, I think we'll look back at that game at Chelsea and say like yeah we all kind of realised that day this is a really serious team. Alright, I can't argue with that. Um, my second one, like it's a two-parter. One is the sort of the emergence of the William Saliba chant um, <laughs> I that, was going to go for that, yeah. In that game um, away from, was it against Brentford? Bournemouth. Bournemouth, that's what it was, it was against Bournemouth. Um, and just the way that sort of sprang to life and became a thing and and everything else but the other part of it is the the Saliba own goal against Leicester and the reaction of the crowd mm-hmm. and in previous seasons I don't think it's unfair to say that there might have been a different reaction if we'd scored an own goal um, and I know some of it has to do with the player himself because there's a lot of goodwill on his part but also I just think it speaks to the way that the the crowd is at the Emirates now and the way the the fans are are so behind the team and that was the perfect manifestation of that support you know where game's going well then something goes wrong and rather than people going crazy and going like getting angry about it there was this sort of outpouring of support for the team and I think did we score within two minutes something yeah, like that yeah, whatever it was um, you know so I know there's a sort of cause and correlation kind of thing here you're sort of drawing a line between one thing and another thing which isn't maybe necessarily there but I just think as a moment to tell you about how things have changed at Arsenal over the last two or three years, that was the perfect encapsulation of of that for me anyway. 
Yeah, I, I was gonna I was gonna mention the Saliba chant and and not just the fact that that chant emerged at Bournemouth that day, but then he he capped it off with probably the best goal he'll ever score. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> finding finding the top corner with his weak foot on the day that everybody decided to sing his name for an hour. Yeah, um, not yeah, that's great. And then and I think the the next home game I can't remember what it was, but the next few home games after that, uh, uh, I'm pretty sure that was played at full time at the Emirates as well. I think the next game was maybe Fulham. Um, mm. at home and then, and then the, that was played on 90 minutes after we'd, we'd come from behind to beat Fulham uh, so the entire stadium was singing it so that was that, that chant's been great another chant um, and, and sort of in a similar vein I guess for me then is is the Mikel Arteta chant uh, mm. because we have been a long long way for a long long time from a stadium or an entire away end seeing the manager's name. Sure. And, uh, and I, I, for me, that yeah probably encapsulates the same sort of thinking that you know, it was Villa away when that really took off um, last season. But we've heard it every single game since. And that's win, lose or draw. We've, mm. we've heard it at games when we've lost or when we're losing. And it yeah, it, I think that it's the, this last 12 months, there's just been a sort of a wave of enthusiasm for the team and for the club and unity really uh, amongst the fan base obviously winning every week helps but this was this was last season and we weren't winning every week we were fighting for fourth mm. when this sort of started uh and it, you just you know we were all believing in something again mm. Um, none of us expected this. We, you know, Mikel Arteta says himself, and, and we all agree, we all think so, that this is ahead of plan where we thought we might be or hoped we would be even. But, you know, just that culmination of, of everything and the fact that win, lose or draw, the manager's name is being sung uh, every single game by most fans, I'm sure. I'm sure yeah. there are still fans. That, of course. <laughs> there's always people that, that don't, see eye to eye on something but yeah that's um i didn't think that would happen uh not after the way the the previous season had gone and and last season had mm. started i thought it would take longer uh you know after the wounds of of arsene wenger and, and Unai Emery even and, and yeah it, it just feels like there's been so many rifts for such a long time and sure. Mikel Arteta has somehow uh managed to sort of put everything back together. Well, that was going to be my final one, which is sort of not necessarily a moment, but a, a sort of change in people's perception of Mikel Arteta. And that comes after the Amazon uh, documentary, which is, you know, you know fine well that I had some some reservations about our involvement in that, right? <laughs> but I think the fact that not just Arsenal fans, you know, people that I spoke to, friends who support other clubs and, you know, people who write about football and talk about football and all kinds of things have have looked at that documentary and sort of realized that this is a young, energetic, slightly eccentric, <laughs> idiosyncratic guy who's doing his best, who is, you know, pretty much you know, what you what you see is what you get in many ways because he's pretty clear. You know, he's pretty clear about what he expects. Like, I don't think Arteta's the kind of guy who, you know, has a lot of hidden agendas. Like, if you do what he wants you to do, you're going to stay on the right side of Mikel Arteta, mm -hmm. you know, whether you play every week or not or whatever. But, you know, I think people's opinions about him changed quite a lot after that documentary for the better. And I do feel like after everything that he has gone through as a manager, you know, the we've talked about it, you know, the club that he came into, the COVID thing, the, you know, the, the impact of COVID, the various issues. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. 
if you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. ...that he's had with, with certain players, big name players, decisions that he's had to make, which have been difficult and unpopular decisions, all of that kind of stuff. I just think that, you know, from... I think that the, the documentary's given him not a lease of life, that's the wrong word, but it has changed the way people think about him and what he's capable of and what he's doing at Arsenal and what he's doing at Arsenal. First and foremost, you can see it by where we are in the league. You know, we're top of the table and everything else. But I think it has gone a long way to instill belief in Arsenal fans, maybe not um, as much, but just sort of it's sort of copper fastened his position as mm-hmm. one of the one of the best young managers in in the game yeah it reminds me just you talking there reminds me of uh, an, actually an old Unai Emery interview when he was i think towards the end of his time at PSG and he spoke about every club needing to recognize who's in charge of the club and that uh, uh, mm. um at Real Madrid, it's Florentino Perez, and at Barcelona, it was Lionel Messi. And at the time, yeah. <laughs> um, and and at PSG, when he got there, he realised, like, right, okay, like I have to accept that it's Neymar, and mm. that's just the situation that I'm in. Uh, I don't think, or I think, for a few years, the our biggest problem maybe was that we didn't know who was in charge of the club. It was very unclear who was running Arsenal, who mm. was the face of the club, who was the voice of the club, who, when it came to it and a hard decision had to be made, who would make that decision? And I think we know now. I don't think any decision is made unless it's the decision that Mikel Arteta wants. And I think he's earned that position as well. Sure. So it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's nice to have him in charge. And it, it's just nice to have someone in charge who's doing a good job and you can trust the direction that they're pulling everything in. And it really does feel like everybody's behind him. Mm. The direction and po- possibly, possibly even the process. Who knows? Who are we to say? Uh, just final one for me. I have to say, you know, on a personal level, the... Um, the the podcast, the live show we did with the, the Arsenal Vision lads at Union Chapel um, at the end of last season, despite the fact that it had ended uh, at that point, there was the possibility of a miracle, but nobody really expected it to happen. But the fact that we were able to have such a great night and bring uh, so many people together and Arsenal fans together um, in such numbers was was absolutely amazing. And, um, you know, fingers crossed we can do that again at the end of this season, whether we have a title or a trophy to celebrate, we'll, we'll have to wait and see. So, look, we better leave it there. Lewis, Happy New Year to you and yours. We'll talk to you next year. Um, thanks as always. Happy New Year to you as well and, and to everybody else. And thank you. Thank you very much indeed to Lewis. You can find him on Twitter. He is at LG Ambrose, at LG Ambrose. And Lewis and I preview every Premier League game over on Patreon, normal weeks, of course. You can sign up if you'd like to support everything that we do on Arsblog, as well as getting extra bonus content at patreon.com forward slash Arsblog. That's patreon.com forward slash Arsblog. So look, next time we talk, it's going to be, well, it's going to be next year. It's going to be 2023. <sighs> Sounds ridiculous when you say it out loud, doesn't it? 2023. Fuck. So I would just like to say uh, that being with you throughout 2022 has been a pleasure as always. I want to thank you all so much for for listening and for subscribing and for downloading and all the rest. I wish you and yours a very, very happy and healthy and peaceful 2023, wherever you are in the world, particularly if in your part of the world, that is something which is much more acute, which is part of your day-to-day reality. I wish you and everybody well, and all we can do throughout 2023 is do our best as people, as human beings, to look after each other. If you're in a position to lend a hand, to do some good, to help, then that's what we need to do. More and more, that feels like a responsibility that that can't be shirked. If you're in a position to do something about the many things that are 
wrong and unjust about this world, whatever it might be, every small bit helps. Every small bit counts. Think of others and let's see if we can make 2023 uh, a better place for as many people as we can. So with that in mind, let's also hope that Arsenal beat the ever-loving fuck out of every team that we face in 2023. I think you can care about the well-being and happiness of other people, but still want fans of every other football club to have a, a terrible time. I think that's all right. James and I will be here on New Year's Day. I think we're going to have a, uh, a podcast, an Arscast Extra for you. So you might be lying on the couch. You might have a sore head after the night before, and hopefully you've got a sore head from celebrating Arsenal's win over Brighton. Let's keep fingers crossed for that. Have a very happy new year. Peace and love to you and yours, and we'll catch you on the next one. Until then, cheers. Bye-bye. you a very happy new 2023. Now, you might be asking yourself, what has Liam Neeson got to do with a football podcast? And the answer, of course, is absolutely nothing. However, for those of you thinking about listening to something else in the new year, know this. I have a very particular set of skills. I will find you, and I'll make you a delicious sandwich. Because if that doesn't convince you to keep listening, then what will? Happy New 23. From me, not Liam Neeson. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started.